The Retro Lounge is a look back into the archives of the Recruiter's Lounge podcast with Jim Stroud and Karen Matinen. The Recruiter's Lounge podcast posted weekly between the years of 2005 and 2010. With energy, wit, and opposite points of view, (laughs) Jim Stroud and Karen Madden discussed, debated, and squabbled like children over HR issues that affected the workplace and society overall for the benefit of all who would listen. This episode of the Recruiter's Lounge originally aired October 16th, 2009. This was the title, Podcast, Sex, and David Letterman. And here is the original description. HR discusses David Letterman. In episode number 132, Jim Stroud takes a break this episode and leaves the lounge in the hands of Karen Matnan. Oh boy. And her guests, Joshua Letourneau, Carla Porter, and Steve Markin. The topic is all about David Letterman's workplace scandal. Tune in to hear all the juicy bits right after this message from my sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Superpass, the go-to software for out-the-box content websites and mobile apps. With the Superpass platform, you can create your own branded website and native mobile apps to host your digital content, subscribers, and more. Do you have quality content that you want to share with the world in a beautiful and intuitive site? If so, then Superpass can provide the tech solution for you. Hold all your digital content in one place, your brand, your way. Check out superpass.app. That's S-U-P-A-P-A-S-S dot app. Do you love four-letter words? Who doesn't? And then you mix recruiting news and insights in with those four-letter words. I'm Cheese. And I'm Chad. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts. We We out. Hi, I'm Jim Strauss. And this is Karen Mattinen. And welcome to the Recruiter's Lounge. The Recruiter's Lounge is a podcast of news, interviews, and commentary on the recruiting industry. And it was designed with you in mind. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your time in the Recruiter's Lounge. Hello, everybody. We have another day at the Recruiter's Lounge. Unfortunately, Jim's not here. And he put me in charge. And you know what? I don't know if I can do a job as good as he is, but please, I hope you guys tune in and listen. And I thought I'd bring some really good friends to help me out. And I brought a guest host to help me out, too, and to introduce you guys to the world. Um, Steve Markin, my business associate with Hire Centrics. Steve is an attorney, and he is a partner at Suits & Markin, lives out in New York, and I'd like to first introduce him. Steve, say hi. Hi. What did you do to Jim? Well, Jim, he's actually on vacation kind of slash uh, conference out in Denver speaking. And I think he's having a good time not having to do this with me to speak. Well, I don't know. You told me he'd be here today. That's why I'm here. Oh, gee, well, can you be the guest, um, a guest host and help me direct this? Please? Uh, I'll try. I'll try. Okay, well, can you do me a favor and introduce the other two guests that we have? Well, we have the world-famous Carla. (laughs) Carla, why don't you introduce yourself and tell them why you're (laughs) world-famous? Oh, well, my name is Carla Porter, and I am uh, currently working as a Director of Workforce Development and Human Resources for an Economic Development Agency and Chamber of Commerce uh, in Pennsylvania. She is one of the coolest people that I've ever met. And I had to bring her on here because she's a very strong, opinionated lady, and I think the topic that we have today is going to rock your roll. And back to Steve. Steve, who's our other guest? Well, that's good that you brought color on because we need a woman on the show that has strong opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then there's the uh, world infamous uh, Josh. Josh Letourneau. Josh, Josh, yes, Josh Letourneau, who's not an attorney. No, but he's one of my friends. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. I I appreciate <laughs> you saying infamous, Steve, instead of famous. That's a uh, great ego boost <laughs> for the afternoon. I caught that. It might have been a Freudian slip, but I caught it. Well, okay, guys, this is going to be a little cho- a little choppy we're starting off, so let's try to make it roll, okay, a little bit here. As I said, I'm kind of new with this, so kind of bear with me. All right, today I brought you guys together for a reason. 
I had some interesting conversations just recently in regards to the brand new fiasco that was going on with David Letterman. I mean, everybody's heard about what happened with David Letterman, right? Yeah. Right? Yes? It's okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Sure. Thank you. It's okay for you guys to talk once in a while, okay? So, anyways, I kind of was watching all this stuff, and I kept thinking, hey, you know, two adults, you know, were sleeping together, and they were happy with doing it with each other, and nobody should, you know, be getting all into anybody else's business, let it all be, you know, it's like bygones be bygones. Well, the more I start seeing the CNN and Today Show, and the more I start talking to people, the more things started coming up that, you know, workplace romances and stuff like that could create problems. Well, then, Carla, you and I started talking about a certain situation that just happened in a workplace with a pretty popular individual. We're not going to mention the name of this individual because we try not to do that on the recruiter's lounge. But, Carla, why don't you mention what happened just recently? Oh, well, uh, somebody was uh, on Twitter and was tweeting uh, some pretty heavy-duty personal uh, reproductive... You can say what she said. It's okay. Well, she she said that she was, uh, you know, in the meeting and she was having a miscarriage and um, she was happy that it ended up being a miscarriage and that way she wouldn't have to get an abortion. Now, one of the things that was really interesting to about this that was pretty shocking because this hit the news pretty hard. In fact, this even hit the news news like CNN when people were talking about stuff like this. was like, you know, you're going back into with what was going on with David Letterman, like, What's appropriate in the workplace, and how does it involve other people, and how does one person's behavior affect others? So, Steve, you're the guest host. Why don't we lead it off with you, and you get off that May I introduce you to the floor now? All right, all right. I'll I'll try to fill in even though Jim's not here. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, Carl, you mentioned that this uh, unnamed person who should remain unnamed um, blogged or tweeted that uh, she was in the middle of a meeting and fortunately in her eyes had a miscarriage uh, in lieu of an abortion. Um, I don't think that's in the same ballpark as David Letterman because I think that was disingenuous. Even if it did happen, she recited it solely for the purpose, I would uh, 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 opinion, of uh, gaining uh, uh, recognition of uh, of gaining followers on her blog site. I mean, what kind of uh, cold, calculated statement would that be? Uh, how could you interpret it to be anything else? I think the, the more serious issue is uh, uh, the issue of um, what is the impact of relationships between two consenting adults in a workplace where there apparently is no uh, complaint filed uh, there is no uh, issue that's brought forth in the public, even though we know by David Letterman's own admission that he slept with uh, several of his uh, uh, female uh, uh, workers. I'm not going to say co-workers because at least one of them was uh, a student, a college student or a graduate student at the time. I believe they're his staffers. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a more serious issue raises all sorts of issues about the appropriateness of, I mean, barring the complaint uh, uh, part of the law, uh, whether it makes others uncomfortable in the workplace, do you feel that there's something morally wrong uh, with uh, a a fellow like Dave uh, um, Letterman, who has all the uh, power and recognition Mm -hmm. and possibility of advancing careers of others, uh, picking out uh, some of uh, his staff to sleep with, I don't think he slept with them all. But let's just say he didn't. Well, if he did, perhaps you could say that everybody was um, uh, everybody was afforded an equal opportunity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and maybe that's why no one's complaining. <laughs> but let's assume for a moment that he didn't. I mean, I don't think he had the energy, but who knows? I what mean, do you think the imp- Impact would be on the uh, on the others, male and female, the other staffers. What about that, Josh? 
the question, okay, so the question is, what would the impact be? Yeah, I mean, like for a male, when you, I'm looking at somebody, I do see a comparison, say, somebody like Penelope Trump. If somebody's like Penelope Trump sleeping with David Letterman, you don't think she'd be not pushing it out into the office and letting the whole world know, I'm doing the boss? And how would you, as a male counterpart, feel about that? Wow, that, that's a pretty loaded question. Um, you know, my, my mind's kind of out in left field now. I'm turning around and looking at I, it. I mentioned somebody's name there, but sorry, I should not. But go ahead. Okay. Uh, in terms of – this is kind of my thought process, and, and I'm going to go to – my perspective is more David Letterman. My philosophy is, is simple. You know, you don't want to get your honey where you make your money, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, I just think that it opens up too many cans of worms if you're, you know, trying to sleep with the, the people that you work with. Um, it's not exactly an original concept. You know, there's kind of a persona out there that, well, men are going to be men, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's, you know, not necessarily. I mean, there there's men out there that carry themselves the right way and aren't hitting on every woman that comes into the workplace, you know? I mean, for this to be some accepted norm, as if we're just allowed to do whatever we want, hit on whoever we want, try to sleep with whoever we want, uh, you know, send inappropriate emails to whoever we want. I mean, I think, you know, it lets us off the hook. So for any woman that says, oh, that's just men being men, no, not necessarily. It's not always the case. I mean, being a man isn't all about hitting on every woman that's around. You can still be professional in the workplace. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, you know, but Josh, back back in New York, we don't have that concept that it's part of being a man to hit on every woman that uh, works in the workplace. You don't? I mean, it's frowned upon over here. No, no, we don't do that. Okay. We don't Is do that, that exclusive to New York? It, well, I don't know. I can just, I'm can i just speaking for New York because I gather that Josh was speaking for California. No, he's, in, oh. he's in Georgia. He's from Georgia. Yeah, he's in Georgia. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Okay. No, 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 let me, I'm not going to make any me, comment. Okay. Let me just throw I like Georgia, though. actually. What's that? You all, you all have probably seen, uh, what's the show, Made Men? Uh-huh. Sound familiar? Uh-huh. And it's all about ad agencies back in, don't quote me on this, but I want to say 40s, 50s. It could be a little earlier, so again, don't quote me on that. But if you watch that show, you really get a feel for basically what I kind of see to be the denigration of women. I mean, they're nothing but administrative placeholders in the workplace that are just around, you know, to not really do any quality work. They never get good accounts. They're always stepped on, and they're just basically concubines. Except for the ones who are sleeping with the boss. No, they're concubines. I would say they're concubines. You know, I I have absolutely no intention of this conversation going towards any male bashing whatsoever. Okay. I think that women need to hold a lot of accountability for their actions. Thank you, Carl. And I absolutely do. I, I absolutely do. Okay, can I make something about that, too? Because, Carlo, you and I were talking about this the other day. You and I had said, look, you know, you had said, you know, we, I think women deserve, you know, we, we almost like deserve what we almost get, but we don't deserve it. But you didn't say it in those words. And at first I was going to get defensive, but then you explained that we were accountable, which I understood what you meant better. I think you were saying, if I correct me if I'm wrong, you were saying we're not standing up to the plate like we did in the older days, like back in the 70s and even in the early 80s where we fought for our rights, or we fought to say, look, this is wrong, I want to be able to go to the, you know, I'm going to go to HR, and I'm going to make sure that you are not going to do this, not just to me anymore. Now we just kind of stay, stop and stay frigid, and we go, oh, my gosh, what do I do? I better just go ahead and go along with it. You know what? You know, that- it's really, yeah, it is, and it's really interesting. I mean, in my in my own lifetime, um, I was in the military in the early, well, in the in the early 1980s, um, and I was, and there what, were not a lot of women in, in, the, in the Air Force. Okay. There were uh, not a lot of women at that time, and I, I was stationed at an air base that ratio was 20 men to every woman. And it was, um, it was not an easy situation a lot of times. Uh, today, and now, you know, in more recent years, uh, since different laws have been passed and so forth, you know, women have stood up in the military, and they have, if you recall, several years ago, there were several different cases, women who, um, you know, brought this forth, and yeah. and it was handled. Um, but it sure. wasn't always yeah. that way. But, you know, when you go back or even earlier in time um, with the women's rights movement and so forth, women were more persistent about it. 
about standing up and voicing their opinions. It kind of seems like it died off. And what really bothers me a lot is that women do not negotiate for uh, for their salary the way that men do. Um, women are not as strong as, you know, standing up to the plate and demanding what they really deserve in the workplace. And I feel that that is a woman's accountability to do that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fact. Women do not earn, you know, we all know women do not earn the salaries that men do. And uh, the longer they're in the workplace, the, the, the more disparate it is. And part of that is because women just go to work every day and do their job, and they're not looking out for themselves necessarily in the workplace. That's my feeling. Now, I'm going to ask Steve a legal question here. Steve, recently I was listening to a re-listening to a podcast I had done with another individual. And she, like most individuals, most people, will have the same consistent, redundant mantra that says, I don't want to go ahead and turn my boss in or I don't want to complain about being harassed because I don't want to look like I'm the whiner or that I can't look like I can't handle myself. And I'm going to probably lose my job if I complain. Is that really true? Well, as you know, there are plenty of mechanisms in place by various federal agencies that protect uh, people who come forth and uh, and expose uh, evildoers. Talking back to a darker time, uh, so that should not be true uh, if everybody's doing their job. Uh, nevertheless, um, uh, an ideal reality is yet to be achieved, and I'm sure there are plenty of situations where you'll find that people who do blow the whistle. Do uh, do find themselves in in a bit of a pickle. On the other hand, there are other situations where people uh, blow that whistle and do get ahead. I think a point should be made, though. Uh, while it's still far more frequent to have uh, women uh, be the victims of uh, sexual harassment, uh, it's becoming more and more popular to have men be the victim uh, of sexual harassment. Uh, there there's been a, a tremendous rise granted from a very small base, of men who have filed complaints of sexual harassment, most often by other men. But you know what? It's defining what is sexual harassment, though. I mean, like, back to what I was asking you, Josh. I mean, I'm if I saw, if I was, if Steve was my boss, and he was sleeping with Carla, and Carla kept getting all the good promotions and kept getting all the great deals and kept getting all the best clients, I'm sorry. But I would consider this a, an aspect of harassment where I felt that I was not getting any good jobs or any. I mean, I'm hurting financially because Carl is getting all the favorite treatment because of the sexual issues. That there is a form of sexual harassment too. You don't even have to go that far. It can just lead to a, a feeling of, um, of discomfort in the workplace, feeling uh, a feeling that's justifiable by the justified by the circumstances, or feeling that uh, you're being discriminated against. Uh, or that you're um, you're being put in an awkward uh, position, contrary to your know, value. You know, I agree. I don't I don't know that the the sex or the the relationships have that much to do with it. I think we need to take a look at uh, performance management. We need to take a look at um, fairness in the workplace and how work is um, disseminated disseminated you know amongst the staff and and what's really going on. So whatever the, the extenuating circumstances are, whether it's a relationship or whatever the case may be, let's say it's not a relationship and let's just say uh, you like me better because we go out and we have coffee and we click and we get along and we have fun and there's no physical relationship going on. But yet I'm your favorite pet and so you give me the better deals at work. Isn't that really in the end the same thing? Yeah, and people can bring cases like that, but you know, absolutely, really, it yeah, it really brings um, brings up a, a situation of uh, reality and how the law tries to deal with reality. It doesn't matter how many people you hire or how many lawyers you hire or have persecuting and prosecuting. Uh, there's just so far you can go with the law. I mean, there's uh, an area where the mores of society have to take over. Uh, wait, wait, okay, but what about the part, though, that some people are saying that, wait, it it should just be two adults, though. I mean, oh, yeah, okay, we're in the workplace, granted, but, I mean, am I not just an adult? 
and isn't he an adult, and shouldn't we allow to be able to do what we want to do? And Josh, feel free to come on in any time. We're missing your voice here, bro. Josh? Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm just, uh, you know, letting you guys talk it out. But, I mean, seriously, I mean, in that regard, so what about the aspect of that? I mean, you know, shouldn't there be an area or is there an area about the fact that it does create discomfort and we need to have that? I don't understand. I mean, some people believe, hey, two, two adults, hey, shouldn't they be allowed to be able to do whatever they want? We've got office romances, 40% of office romances, I mean, in every office, you know what I mean? What they say, that's what the statistics were. I mean, my thought process, Karen, is just more about the principle of the matter. I mean, if, if you feel, if, if there's, and this is a loaded statement, but if, if there's, if you believe that you're going to become involved with a coworker, um, I think it's, it's probably best if, if one of you leave the company. And, I, and I'm not trying to say that it, it's easy, um, but I just think you're opening a can of worms. There's too many things that can go wrong. Um, so you can I mean, take married couples in a workplace. I mean, how many how many issues does that present? I mean, let me give you a perspective real fast, because uh, and Carla can appreciate this likely, because I was in the military as well. Okay, in the Marine Corps when I was in, there was no doubt in anybody's mind that women could do the job of the average infantryman, quote unquote, in the Marines. Okay, there was no doubt in anybody's mind. The concern was that if you put women on the front lines and the tip of the spear with the men, that the men would actually take on this instinct to protect the women and therefore potentially cost lives of other Marines around them. Um, that was the thought process. Uh, so what I'm saying is it's, it's probably, well, first I'd like to get your thoughts on that, but, you know, to, to go to uh, having relationships in the workplace, I mean, you're affecting other people. You might say, hey, we're two consenting adults, and that's true, but what about the other people around that you're affecting? The morale, the, I mean, talk about workplace rumors and, and water cooler rumors. Can you imagine if, if you know, the, the sales director is now dating one of his sales reps that reports to him? Imagine. Think about it. And, and for me, the onus goes to the sales director. You know, you're the leader. Well, I can tell you a situation that happened at a company in regards to something like that, that you bring that up, a sales manager who did date the sales a salesperson. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of resentment by the salespeople. But then what was interesting is when she got fired because of lack of production, she then turns – she got so pissed off at him, she turns him in. And he ends up losing his job for sexual any, harassment. You know, any, any leader that would sacrifice their integrity – or their character. When I say that, I mean, okay, now you're sleeping around with somebody that reports to you. Uh, you know, I mean, that just signals to me a lack of uh, decision-making ability, a lack of judgment. And I just have to believe it's going to catch up with you at some point. I just think it's unfair to the rest of the team. That's just my thought process from a leadership standpoint. I wouldn't do it. I've been in situations where I could have, I could have had relationships in the workplace in the what? past. What do, you, what do you want to ask, Carla? Well, you know, I want to, I just want to be a little bit of a devil's advocate and say, do you think it's potential that you missed out on a fabulous um, life partner because you didn't go there? I think you can go there, Carla. I mean, uh, you know, I just think, do you have to go there? I mean, do you have to actually have a sexual relationship before one of you decides to leave the company? I mean... But who's to and then who's to decide to leave? I mean, who's to decide who's going to leave? You know, it's you know, interesting. Uh, see, this is, go ahead. Well, no, from, from a male, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, from a male perspective, okay, let, let's let's talk reality for a minute. Let's say you're leaving the workplace. It's Thursday night. You're going to go to happy hour. Uh, somebody that works for you. It could just be just be somebody you work with. But for the sake of conversation, let's say I'm a male. It's a female that works for me. You go out. You have a drink or you have a few more drinks, at a certain point, you have to, as a man, you know that this can go to, to step two. We can take this further if we want. But you know what? It's, it's just probably not the best decision for me to make right now. I might as well keep my pants on. And if we're going to attempt to have some formal relationship, you know, I, I don't know if 
am I, am I making sense? I mean, you get to the point of truth where you're going to make a decision to, you know, to get it on or not. And I just, for me, if you're the leader, you know, you have to have the decision-making ability to say, you know what, if we're going to have, if you're going to be my life partner, we can wait just a second. You know, let me think about the consequences. And what, can I throw something out there? I'm kind of going with what you're saying for one reason. Steve, you're a married man, too, and I think you can relate with what I'm going to say here. You know, it's like, you know. Only if my wife agrees. Okay. <laughs> but you know the times when you, you hear people go ahead and say, but, hon, I'm sorry I cheated on you. It just happened. And the fact is is that there's hundreds of people, women, that will never cheat on their on their husbands, and there's hundreds of men that will never allow certain things to just happen. You just don't put yourself in that situation. I mean, it's like, I guess in doing what Josh is saying, you know, you could probably find your life partner and your best friend's husband, too, or you just don't go there. I guess in the workplace, I think it's just best not to go there. It's just one of those forbidden fruit, you know? What do you think, Carla? Um, well, let me just relate another little story since I like to tell stories. I was a manager in a company, and the supervisor that worked for me uh, had dropped his car off to get the, car, the uh, tires changed and asked me if I would take him at the end of the shift uh, back to the garage. And I did, and when we, we got to the garage, I, they told us it was going to be another half an hour. So I didn't feel really confident just leaving him there in case for whatever reason it wasn't done. So we decided to go next door to a restaurant and get a bite to eat while the tires were being finished, uh, being changed. And someone must have seen us. Till this day, I can only suspect who it was, but I can't be certain. Um, and I almost lost a promotion because wow. the rumor went flying around that I, you know, that it was obviously something else. It was, there was no truth to it whatsoever. So I want to say that uh, even speculation is dangerous. You know, unless you're really caught in the act, it's always speculation, unless you admit it. The other thing I want to say is that every, you know, it seems like every year around February 13th, around Valentine's Day, tons of articles get published about workplace romances. And then every once in a while, um, you get that odd story that has nothing to do with Valentine's Day timing, like Monica Lewinsky. You know, but still in all, there's no denying that work is, and, you know, it's probably always going to be the number one place to meet romantic partners. A lot of times these types of relationships are very flingy in nature, and some of them turn into marriage. And, in fact, in, uh, in 2005, there was an office romance survey conducted by Vault, and it said that 58% of employees say they've been involved in an office romance. So my question is... of them were married. They said 48% of people who knew the um, new married people who were involved with office romances. Could be, but I don't want to discuss morals. I just want to discuss workplace, you know, what happens in the workplace. And, you know, their relationships, their morals, their conduct, um, you know, th those are also human-imposed values that we put on people that you shouldn't cheat and you shouldn't this and you shouldn't that. And everyone has really strong opinions about that. And, you know, rightfully so, we're all humans. Well, my question is, who do we think that we are to try to prohibit the most base human instinct? And, you know, obviously I get sexual harassment. Um, well, trust me, I do. Um, but I understand as well, you know, how awkward and, and uncomfortable and unfortunate it is that people sometimes they don't respect each other enough in the workplace to take no for an answer, have the ability to move on, maintain professional working relationships. Okay. And, well and that, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring a devil's advocate to this, and Steve and I, you were talking about this just the other day. There was a, and I told this to Josh too, in back where I used to work in a chamber of commerce, we had a police station downstairs, and there was this two great friends. Um, they used to, like, always share sexual banter back and forth for years. And one day he said something to her that just wasn't inappropriate, was not appropriate, and that friendship just turned sour. And from that day on, anything he said, he just was now considered to be sexually explicit to her, what she thought was acceptable before. That was when HR came in, and they said, no more even saying you look great in that blue dress. I mean, the fact is, though, is how does a man know where the line is for one and where the line is for other? And then there's, isn't it also possible where I believe that if, Carla, you were to allow this somebody to be okay touching your shoulder or being able flirtatious with you, and 
I, he might become more, a person may become more embellished in believing that he can always do that, and then he would probably start doing it to people like me, and then I am going to be told by loosen up by people like yourself or others, and I'm not comfortable. I mean, where's the line to be drawn for what's comfortable I don't and what's think, not? I don't, I don't think regardless of what the relationship is that there should be touching in work. I think you need to have professional conduct in the workplace. Okay. And I think oh, that wait, what you wait, do... Wait, 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 wait. We shake hands. That's touching. Sh- you put your hand on somebody's shoulder or on their arm when you're talking. That's uh, touching. Well, okay, I mean, these are okay, things that happen I, I, in the workplace all the time. Re- I, need, I need to rephrase, but Karen is talking about something else. Karen is talking about sexual behavior in the workplace. Yeah, but She's not talking be- about a professional sexual- meeting handshake. Sexual behavior in the workplace? You consider sexual to some may not be considered sexual to another. How do, do we, we know what the do any is? of us do, do any of us consider a handshake to be sexual in our society? No, we don't. Do we? I don't think I so. Fall in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about that. The, back in the eighties, they used to have that one handshake where you used to drag your finger across the hand. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that, but I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, you were okay. too. Yeah, it's I was like, just trying to shake to her hand. That handshake, you know what I mean? That's, that's uh, the best. I was just trying to shake I, her I, hand. Well, yeah. I think that companies companies that have policies that address this issue um, are doing the right thing, and it appears that 28% of companies do have um, policies that address workplace personal relationships. But they you know, and I think that I think that. I think that um, companies would do much better off to understand human nature, again, create these policies that are deal effectively with office romances rather than trying to negate them. And I understand why it's very messy, lovers get scorned, you know, but it's not realistic to think that it isn't going to happen. And you can't just throw people out of work. So I think that it's it's better to deal with it. You know, we're we're sitting here making new policies for bird flu, social media, and all that stuff is new. The dating has been around forever, yet only 20% of companies have a dating policy. So only 20%? 20%. You know, I just read an article uh, by um, Business Management Daily, and they quoted Sherm, uh, who did a study in two, last year in February, which revealed that among employers that do set such policies, and I'm, re- I'm quoting the numbers here, 64% uh, discourage dating be- uh, between coworkers, 28% permit dating, and 8% completely prohibit it. So I'm saying that the 28% that permit it, but yet practice performance management in the workplace um, and have policies that, you know, discuss boundaries and limitations to to keep them in a professional manner, I think that that's the way to go about it. What do you think, Steve? On the legal perspective. I agree to to the extent that, uh, that... you can't legislate, I was trying to say before, you can't legislate everything. And the more regulations you pass, the sillier and more ineffective it becomes and more unrealistic it becomes. So you have a situation where um, people have been working together for years, and it could be a man and a woman, and it's really a relationship of brother and sister more than anything else, and there is some touching, and people are friendly. It's no sexual touching, but if it was if the touching was done to another person, that person could consider it uh, sexual and even more troublesome. You could have a woman across uh, across the row in another office passing by who sees this and says to herself, this is sexual, and then wags her, wags her tongue and everybody in the building hears that there's something sexual going on. Now, these things happen. I mean, I was... I was uh, VP um, and uh, general counsel of a, of a pretty large corporation, and we had these things happen all the time. And the question is, where does the law stop and where does common sense come in? And if you read the laws, they try to write it in some places, and then the regulations get a little bit crazy, uh, and hopefully it's not enforced this way, and they say, well, even if it could reasonably be foreseen, that it could lead to somebody feeling this uncomfortable, you can't do this. You know, I, you understand where they're going, uh, but it's sort of like pornography. You, you know, you, you know, you can't define harassment, but you know what it is when you see it. Mm. And you really can't legislate everything. There has to be a room for common sense. And the people that I've spoken with at the EEC, and you too, Karen, as well, 
have said that they they investigate these things and where and they try to approach it with common sense and they they even though the regulations say one thing they try to do the right thing and it's difficult you're trying to legislate morality so that's always a dangerous path because as Carla was saying men and women are attracted to each other from time to time and if you spend a lot of time in the workplace you're going to find that happening i don't think we want to make that illegal how, let me, you're, I agree with you. Let me ask another question. What if it were two women or two men? I mean, so? would there be the same uproar? If oh, I think there'd be more of an uproar. Don't you? It would be more sensationalistic. Well, you also have a lot of people uh, who feel that, you know, watching that sort of thing is, well, look, men by and large, Josh, help me out here, if they see two women expressing affection physically, they'll sit down and watch and take notes. Yeah. <laughs> there'd be there'd be a okay. short term spike in morale is what you're saying. Right. Right. There'd you know, all the men are coming out. Yeah. Say the so Christmas party would have yeah. everybody would be yeah. at the Christmas party this year's kind of Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. But if those same men saw two men doing the same thing, oh he would get a much different response. Oh no, no way. Well yeah, you might a, even get some that'd people be a violent. problem. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the gun laws coming out, that you can take a gun in the office, I'd be a little nervous. Oh, stop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Arizona going to allow you to take guns at the office now. And so does Florida. Oh, let's, let's not. Let's, yeah, well, it's Florida. Let's talk, but let's that's another topic. Well, Florida is a good idea. That's another, that's another bad idea. You know what I mean? That's, that's my flush. <laughs> that's another bad idea. You know, you, you don't bring guns into the workplace, number one. It's just, yeah, but that's another, not, nothing good another, day, another topic. Think twice about it. So what have we done? What have we done? We have um, made it so that people should be able to feel more um, at liberty to be open about their sexuality without fear of reprisal or discrimination. And so... Wait, wait, stop there. There's something something here I want to come up. you Mm. got a boss. He got his his um, his little underling, and he goes to his underling, and he starts saying, I want you to have sex with me. She says, oh, boss, I want to go ahead and have sex with you if you promote me. That's in her back of her mind. Maybe she doesn't say it, of course, and he's kind of alluding to it. You don't, you think that that should be, that that's going to be okay? I mean, you don't think that's not going to cause resentment, and you don't think that's not going to cause problems. Oh, I think it's a failure right from the get-go. That that type of arrangement doesn't, you know, that's not a good arrangement. Okay, cause so so when is it okay for the, okay, so it's not okay for the boss, but it's okay for the underlings? No, I'm not saying that it's wrong or that it's right. I'm saying that it happens all the time. Okay. And it's not an issue unless there's a complaint about it either. Am I right? Okay, that I'd have a problem with too because a lot of times too, some people, most people won't complain because of fear of repercussion. I may be an adult, but I mean, and I know a lot about the law, but I'm still not going to possibly complain because I really don't want that to follow me in my career. That's a moral issue. No, it's also it's a realistic issue. I mean, it does happen. It happens, but if no one complains about it, is it an issue? Well, I think what it does, it creates more control and power. Like somebody said, it's not like David Letterman was such a sexy man, but yet he had quite a lot of young girls who are being totally enthralled with him, you know? You know, do you, well, let's, wait, wait. Let's, let's assume for a minute that Carla is wrong and that David Letterman did not sleep with every one of his female employees. Okay. Okay? Let's just assume, assuming arguendo. Assuming oh, no, I mean, Carla, he did not say that, but that's okay. Go ahead. I'm having a little fun, Karen. You know, oh, I know. I <laughs> Okay. That one girl out of all those hundred or so girls that he that he slept with, that one girl he didn't sleep with, is the, is sitting there now. Uh, she hasn't complained, and she won't complain, even though she hasn't gotten upon the assignments or the promotions, because she has a great job, and she's afraid that if she complains, she's going to lose it, or she's going to lose any chance she has of advancement. Even if that's not true, I mean, I think anybody in that situation would feel the same way. She probably would feel the same way, but 
I guess what I'm trying to say is that if she doesn't say something, she spends 10 years at that job and then moves on and never says anything, there's no issue because the issue was never brought to light. But then it's sure. easy, though, but what it did is it gave somebody, the boss, like let's say hypothetical David Letterman again, because that's no, hypothetical. But he no, gave how, how the police, the how police, police something. He's not doing anything wrong. He then how feels address, like he's entitled to do this. How do you address something that hasn't been made an issue? Well, I think you you addressed it very well before when you said that um, promotions and, and the such should be performance-based. Exactly. And, yeah, and if you have people promoted on the, on a quantifiable, as much as you can, uh, performance-based evaluations, then this thing, all of this becomes somewhat less important and is relegated to the place where it should be of uh, social interaction. I mean, if you have, if, if it's known that the boss and um, one of his, one of his uh, underlings are sleeping, have been sleeping together, um, and he evaluates her, if he's a good boss, uh, he would say, hey, you know, um, we're having this relationship, and he would have others come in and, and uh, do the evaluation with him, or maybe he'd, ex he'd exclude himself. There are mechanisms like that, that that are set up from time to time, because you do have situations, very common now in the workplace, where you have married couples working together, or you have boyfriends and girlfriends living together working together. I don't think that's, that's going to end. I think it's it, you finally. I think you're going to find yourself seeing more and more of that. And I think as a society, we have to learn how to deal with that in the workplace. I couldn't I agree more. I couldn't agree more. I think that that's the 28 percent of the companies that have policies that deal with it. I worked for one such company who had very clear policies that said, if you find yourself in that situation, you're responsible, you're accountable to go to whoever it is that you report to. Or if you're having a relationship with the person you report to, then you go to need to go to a different manager or human resources, and you need to disclose it so that you can be, your work area can be moved, your reporting structure can be changed, so that these situations um, don't happen. But if you don't have a policy like that, then you get Harry Carey. Good point. Now, guys, I want to wrap up on this conversation for a little bit here because we do have another 10 minutes remaining, but there is something I would like to ask you guys about. And it's something that you kind of broached a little bit about, Carla, and it's a very passionate topic. A couple of days ago, um, Workforce.com wrote an article, had an article written by an attorney that was discussing literally, basically, that recruiting and social networks really don't go well hand in hand. There's a lot of lit litigation that can come down the pike from that, a lot of high risk. Well, this created a tremendous amount of firestorm. A lot of blogs, a lot of different networks, a lot of different sites started posting about this and major conversations. In fact, uh, there are a lot of people who were out there basically saying that these lawyers were promoting fair and angst. I personally well, is that at, what lawyers do? Well, I look at it as, isn't it basically an opportunity for lawyers who are just kind of educating about laws that are already there in place? And why do they always have to take of what lawyers are trying to do is try to promote angst and try to make money? I mean, they don't make money unless you screw up, right? I mean, it's not like, you know, you have to break the law. They're trying to teach you not to break the law. Okay, but my point on this, and I wanted to ask, because Josh, you're a recruiter, Carla, you've been a recruiter, and you are a recruiter, and Steve, you're the legal eagle on this side, and I am a recruiter. The issue that I have is I am a recruiter that I do not believe I have to go to a social network after I've got a resume to go ahead and look at a person's personal character flaws to figure out what they're like when they're off the clock to see how they're going to fit in in my business profile or my bid for this job because nothing on their personal network has anything to do with the job. And I think that, you know, I don't need to be the basically the big, the big daddy overseeing, you know, these people that are in their personal lives. What do you guys think about this? Carl, well, if I could if I may, I'd just like to thank you on behalf of all lawyers, Karen, for saying <laughs> you for such a favorable light. 
I haven't heard lawyers painted in such a favorable light since I was in Swaziland. I mean, I can't believe that you actually said that you believe that all lawyers are socially minded and uh, all their actions. But you know, I think that's pretty cool. All right, I just wanted to say that. I think Josh should say something because if he doesn't, he's a marine. He might get violent. Yeah. Big Daddy, do we need do we need our bosses to be the Big Daddy? Well, let me let me toss this out there about social media. Um, I think one of the things that I don't think let me rephrase this. One of the things that puzzles me uh, when I meet other recruiters is that somewhere along the line, recruiters start believing that they are qualified to do a psychological assessment, almost as if they're they're clinically able to to diagnose somebody's personality and say they're a fit or not a fit. Um, I understand that. It, there's a lot. It's a tacit situation, and you're trying to get a feel for the hiring manager, the environment, and this person. But what can often happen is people wind up looking on social networks, and, and uh, they're trying to find any reason to disqualify a candidate or any reason that, oh, what kind of hat are they wearing in that? Or what kind of jacket is that? Oh, they're, they're not a fit. And the funny thing is – Or they're in a they, wheelchair, and that definitely makes them and, not a fit. And, you know, and the funny thing about fit is – it's this notion we can always point to. It's, it's almost like you cheat on your wife and you say, oh, I'm sorry, it just happened. You know, fit is one of those things we can just point to and say, hey, you know, I, I can't really tell you why we didn't like Bob. He just wasn't a fit. That's all. It's, you know, you just point to this obscure thing. And I think as recruiters, we've gotten into a habit of just pointing to this, this undefinable uh, notion of fit. You know, it's it's like our ultimate excuse. We can't define why we, we just didn't like them, but we don't have the balls to say that. But Josh, we well, they weren't a fit without even like, to the candidate. Nine times out of ten, they'll go to a candidate, they get a resume, they'll go to these sites and make this decision without even ever speaking to the candidate. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, they might go to a site, they might see, oh, is that Carla in uh, in a military uniform? Somebody had tagged her in a photo from. When when you were in Carla, oh, is that the Air Force, oh, Air Force. The, the Air Force are nothing but a bunch of bums. I'm moving on. I was waiting for it. I was waiting. I was you know I was going to end up by saying I wanted to thank you for not dissing the Air Force, but I knew it couldn't happen. Oh no 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 no. I listen. In all honesty, I don't mean that. L listen, let's look at Marines. Let's say somebody goes on there, they see a haircut. You know, we have to have the the most terrible haircuts. You, you, everybody knows what they look like, the jarhead cut, right? Let's say they see the jarhead cut and they say, man, who in a right mind would ever their, allow their hair to be cut like that? This person's a flake. I'm who would have let it be gone to be a Marine, right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, or, or they're a bunch of blockheads, you know, so please, it has nothing to do with the Air Force. What I'm saying is, you know, people just might look at a group of people and they might have their own uh, ethnocentric biases that exist. Objective and, uh, opinion and is what I call it. Not objective, but subjective. And the problem that I see, and I do not understand it, and the argument is you're just scared that you're going to discriminate. And I'm like, yes, I don't go to them because I am scared that I will discriminate. But I'm also scared that you will, and you don't want to admit to it. Well, how about this, Steve? Let me ask you a question. In a background check where I'm checking somebody's criminal record is a lot different than me going on to Facebook and trying to find some photograph I don't approve of. Uh, you know, isn't one objective and one is subjective? And in other words, if you have a felony, we can't hire you. But if you're wearing a party hat, big deal. In a, in a photo well, you, on Facebook. You know, I know you asked Steve, but first of all, what, if a, for a criminal background check, you need to have authorization. Right. And for going out on Facebook and checking out someone's pictures, you can easily do that. You can, but it's still against the law. Because I'm not saying it's right. It, I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying there's a lot of difference. He's yeah, 100 percent correct. First character reference, and that there is still oh. still falls under the wait, law. Wait, 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 Carrie, it's against the law. Some if it's an open site and somebody goes and looks at it. It's actually you still have to get permission because you're doing a character reference. You still have well, to that's get not, to do any that's not a character a person on going character. looking at. But a character reference has to be an opinion from someone, not going out and looking at yourself at pictures. Anything to do about the person's character, and it doesn't have to be verbalized either. No, it can be written verbal. It can be um, come. Or, it can be expressed, or it can be written, or said, or whatever. Yeah, anything to do with the character of the human being. 
Well, I, I don't know. Um, that's under the FCRA. Right. But that's not a reference. Where are you going to write your reference from? You, you can't say you got a character reference from Facebook. They didn't give it to you. No, but you, you, you visualize the character reference because you find out what the person's character is. By seeing him with his drinking and alcohol, you made a personal decision not to. You made an adverse hiring impact or adverse hiring decision based upon what you saw or deemed about his character when you saw him with his beer or alcohol in his hand. That's what I would call that personal choice, not a character reference. Yeah, but, okay, you made, it's still, what you're looking at is not actually called a character reference. There's an actual legal term for it, and I cannot think of it slipping my head, my tongue right now. But it's you're talking about a consumer in, report, like a consumer reporting Yeah, uh, it's under the consumer report thing, exactly. And that's part of the character aspect. So if you're making a character, if you're going to make a, char- a decision on a person's individual character that's going to adverse their hire, an adverse hiring decision, you have to have permission, unless, of course, you are the employer and you're doing it yourself. Now, a third-party right. recruiter who's sharing the information to another third party, the employer, we are now considered to be credit reporting agencies. But when, if I were to be a third-party recruiter and I'm doing it for myself as an employer, I'm going to just hire that person, then unfortunately I don't have to have permission to go ahead and even do a background check if I'm doing it myself. I'm not utilizing any third party to do it for me. Okay, can I make a, just a quick comment? Um, somebody that I really look up to in the recruiting world, Chris Dunn, as mm-hmm. you know, uh, he, he runs Fiscal Talent HR Capitalist. And he's one of the people who wrote about this, too. Yeah. Well, interesting thing. He made a really good point. It made me step back and say, hmm. Uh, essentially what he said was that his CEO wouldn't mind him looking at a social profile of somebody because the CEO doesn't want to hire any freaks. But there was a lawyer that came back and made a better comment that said, hey, you know what? The person that he's looking on the Internet, he may have two candidates, one's black, one's white. Let's say the white guy can definitely go ahead and hide it better at being a freak. Okay, just because the black guy was less obvious about how he showed it, but the white guy was better at hiding it, so he decides not to hire the black guy because he was a freak. Guess what? He just led himself into bigger problems there. Just because somebody's better at hiding it doesn't mean that they're less a freak. Well, let me and and you know let's. And this That's a very fascinating list. argument. What did you say, Steve? Well, let me let me ask. Let <laughs> have me you ever had a about, Have you ever defended a freak, Steve? <laughs> Many. <laughs> Most of them are pretty good at hiding it, though. All the time. Let me, Carla, Karen. Let me ask you something. Okay. Uh, what we're kind of getting into here is. The way that one person defines freak might be different than mm-hmm. how another defines freak. So, for example, let me let me put show two sides of the coin. Let's say I'm a recruiter and I know my hiring manager likes young, attractive women. <laughs> that's what he told me. We've had some beers together. I know how he is. Mm-hmm. That's just the game that he plays. He's David Letterman trying mm-hmm. to get along with. That's just who he is. Okay. I know I'm going to get great metrics and I'm going to get promoted as a recruiter if I can bring him in some young women. Mm-hmm. All right, so. I go over, I get some resumes, I go over to Facebook, just do a quick photo check. Oh, she's good looking, she's good looking, she's good looking. Uh, I'm bringing them all in. You know, the, the other thing would be how we define freak. If you have a highly conservative person, I mean, anybody that's not wearing a turtleneck and, uh, you know, penny loafers might be, oh, they're a freak, which goes to... Anyway, I'm not even going to go where I was going with this. Can I just say something? Because you know I'm over here just kind of like, ah, what does a freak have to do with the fact that the freak can do the damn job? If the guy needs a person to sell $6 million of widgets to hospitals every single week, and that person can sell $20 million of widgets to the hospital every week, even though he wears purple turtlenecks and likes to do nighttime Let me answer that. I think there's a lot of gray area, Okay. That's the legal part that I get concerned about. It's like we get so subjective rather than looking at the objective. The objective is what can the person do, how he did the job, and he did the job. Yeah, but Carrie, Carrie, and I know that, Josh, Josh, you've got a lot to say there, and I I don't don't want you not to say it, but walk into banking, walk into pharma, walk into a lot of industries, there are no freaks inside, at least not on work time. They don't look like freaks. Yeah, well, okay, that person is not going to be $60 billion of witches to that company, would he? Again, 
if the guy can sell to the clients that you need to sell to and does the job and does it well, that's all that should count. The resume okay. speaks for itself. Let, let me let me throw this out there, Karen. Uh, let's say, and and we're going. Be I think the original question was, should we be looking at social profiles? That's the biggest question. But that's assuming that we have looked, assuming we have looked, so let's say, okay, we've we've bitten the the evil apple and we're looking. We're on Facebook. Uh, and I see I have two candidates, and I'm just happening to look them up. One of them is smiling, and they're at a bar. The other one's wearing a ski mask <laughs> with a, uh, you know, with a, <laughs> throwing with up the gang sign. With an Uzi. So, okay. Now, now, Dr. okay. Dr. is the guy with the ski mask, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I consider myself, I'm, anyway, I'm gonna, we'll leave that alone. I don't wear ski masks. But if I saw that, I might say, Oh man, you know what? I don't know about that. You know, I don't know about that guy. He's, you know, he's throwing up a gang sign with with a ski mask on, standing outside of a bank. I don't know about that guy. You know, that's what I would define to be a freak. But I think there's a there's a sliding scale of what a freak might be to to Bill is a lot different than what a freak might be to Josh. I'm not asking for much. I'm just saying, don't have photographs of yourself half naked out there or wearing a ski mask. You know what I mean? Okay, we got a lawyer here on staff with us right now. I'd love to hear. By the way, I'm still taking notes on on Josh's uh, exposition on freaks in the workplace. <laughs> Josh is not is no longer hireable. Josh, I hope you're self-employed. Yeah, I, I think so. Oh no. I've been hireable in years, Carla. What do you think? Uh, you know, what do you think? I'm I think we have to have another session to explore the fascination with face masks. But that, that's another issue. <laughs> no, that's good. Okay. Isn't isn't the real serious issue here uh, the standards that people place Thank on? Uh, I think that's what Karen was going to Thank on you. what constitutes a, a basis for hiring and what doesn't. Thank you. Object I mean, that's what the laws are trying to point at. I don't, I don't know how well they do. The objective qualification has nothing to do with characteristics. No, that's not true. Unfortunately, <laughs> because look, let's say. Uh, I have a let's say I'm hiring someone to be a teller at a bank. I might have a problem if I hire people at the bank uh, who are going to be messengers in walking in and out of the bank who wear ski masks all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that just wouldn't work. It's not workplace attire, is what you say. Well, you know, you cover, yeah. Cover that under your dress code. That's it. I mean, but you do. Well, wait, wait. You do have you do have situations where people uh, do evaluate uh, the sale, whether they're going to deal with the company, um, the sale, company salesman, based upon how he appears, mm-hmm. um, or whether they're going to go into a bank that they think is being robbed. I, you know, appearances do count, and that's why there are. That's okay, why well, that's why there are dress codes. I but it goes beyond dress codes. I do agree with that. I'm not disagreeing with that. Again, a person with six years' experience is going to more than likely going to have that experience, knowledge about dress code. I mean, you're going to be able to have the objective qualifications that says six years of experience in a similar environment. And, and you know what? And you know what happens? And you hire them, and then Casual Friday comes along. There you go. And here here <laughs> they come, strolling in. And, you're and out comes the face mask. <laughs> out comes the face mask. You know what? You're at the bank, and you say to yourself, hey, hey John, uh, can you take that off? I mean, not for nothing, but you might make some people here a little nervous. Oh, Jasco could come into play there. Okay, I'm sure. No, it's Casual Friday. It's all about Casual Friday. You know, I worked at a place that even on casual days, no headgear was allowed unless it was for religious obligations or illness. Oh, headgear. Probably because of the face mask, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I ne- this is really illuminating. I never knew about this face mask problem before this. It's obviously an issue. How, you know how is this different than an employer? An employer is purchasing your talent. Is that not correct? They're leasing your talent. Yep, it's leasing. Okay. So they're a customer in, a, in, in one respect. And I'm a customer, and I walk into Saks Fifth Avenue, and I'm looking for a dress. And they all serve the same purpose. They all cover my bod. They all are going to take me out on a night on the town. And they're all just like that. But I, you know what? I have a preference for a certain model. I have a preference for a certain model and the way it fits me. 
And I'm going to select the one that I think looks the best, fits the best, and I'm going to buy it. What's the difference from an employer purchasing or leasing talent that they feel fit the best, looks the best? That's well, a can of worms. Help me out well, here. Since women have not been considered chattel for over 100 years, I don't think we should uh, now take a step back and consider all people chattel. A dress is a possession you put on your body, and people like it or dislike it, but their life their, usually is unchanged. But if you hire and fire people based upon how they dress, look, walk, or talk, um, leaving aside for a moment the ski mask issue, um, that's a whole different story. Then you're affecting the rights of others. Thank you. And I think that's a big step. So, absent the ski mask, I think we have to consider people different from dresses. You know, I, I have some friends that I have some friends that work would for. Would disagree. Uh, they work for gaming organizations, right? Some of them develop environments and whatnot for some popular video games, like on the Xbox and whatnot. And uh, not for working for Microsoft, but some of the designs development studios that put out games. And uh, I was talking to a recruiter that worked there, and he said, you know, he'll go look at social profiles. And if he sees somebody wearing, let's say, uh, let's say they're at Dragon Con and they're wearing a Darth Vader outfit, he actually looks at that as positive. You know, hey, this is the kind of person we're looking for. They have to be a little out there. You know, the thing about it is they probably, they probably have that type of nerdy culture in their office, and, and, and he yeah. probably feels that he this person would get along with the other coworkers. But the thing yeah. about it is I wonder how many great candidates get missed. Well, I know, actually. I mean, being a recruiter, I've seen this happen so many times where great candidates are missed because of stupid, subjective prejudices and great candidates are walked over like like for example the three you know that three words that all of them missed must are um you know when they say they must have a degree but they forget the are equivalent experience how many great candidates are missed because they didn't have a degree no forget about that how many candidates uh going back to carla's point how many candidates are aren't even considered because they didn't graduate from an ivy league college well, yeah, we know about sure. Google and that one, right? And yeah, yeah. I mean, and then there's the actually about age. I mean, how many candidates like yourself have been missed because if they have gray hair, they're over 40. They don't look, they're not going to fit in with our corporate cultures. Our corporate culture is young and hip. Look, I mean, there's a lot of great, like, let's take the guy. He's going to look at this guy who's got a rad T-shirt. Well, let me tell you right now, he's missing that really creative genius who maybe actually designed the whole aspect of games, and he still wears a shirt and tie. I mean, that's that's where it well, gets silly because, I mean, can the shirt and tie guy still fit? You know what? He may not want to fit in. He may want to sit in the corner and just do his work and then go and leave. He doesn't need to be part of the team. Can we have a show sometime about dress codes? Because I want to throw them out. I just want them to be... I want you to be covered up, but I want to get rid of the formal attire. That sounds like a good end. We could do that. Hey, listen, guys, Jim's going to kill me. He really is. We have gone well over an hour, and I have got to wind this up, or he's going to really have my neck. Isn't that right, Jim? So, everybody, I really have got to say goodbye here to everyone and say thank you for chiming in. Is that okay? Thank you. Yeah. Do, we have do we have closing comments or anything, like a one-liner from all and of us? Or Please go ahead. Say say your last say your last pieces. Josh, you want to start off? Yeah, yeah, I'll start off real fast. Okay, a uh, few few things for listeners that that I would recommend. Not that you need to take this, but uh, number one, be careful what you Twitter. You know, oh, yeah. Public record, it's it's there's public record. It's out there forever. You just don't need certain things following you. Use common sense. Um, I'm not going to go into uh, sleeping in the workplace, so I'll just leave it at that. You know, be careful what you put out there on the internet. What about you, Carla? I say just a ski mask. <laughs> hey, you took my line. <laughs> and Steve, what about you? I want Jim to come back. Okay, I do too. I don't think I can handle this one too much. You guys are too much for me. I couldn't even turn this thing off, right? I'm telling you. And that's hard for me too, by the way. And everybody, I want to say tune in to Hyrocentrics because we're going to be ready, uh, hopefully, um, about maybe two weeks. Is that right, Steve? We hope so. We're hoping for we're hoping for a two week launch, but definitely tune in. Go to www.directhire.com. If you want to email us, please go ahead and email us. Directhireavenue.com. 
DirectHarrisAvenue.com. Thank you. Or go to HarrisCentrics.com. And if you have any emails to get to us, either Steve or Carla or me, go to Jim at, at Jim Stroud at JimStroud.com, and he will definitely forward it to us. And I want to tell you guys, thank you very much for being a guest, and thank you for tuning in. Over and out. Well, that's the end of our show, and as always, you've been a very great audience. If you like what you heard, love what you heard, or simply hate what you just heard, uh, please let us know. You can reach me, Jim Stroud, at jim at therecruiterslounge.com or karen at therecruiterslounge.com. Also, if you would, please uh, subscribe to us by iTunes or just subscribe to the site, uh, of course, therecruiterslounge.com. The theme song of The Recruiter's Lounge is courtesy of Brain Bucket and the Podsafe Music Network. Find them online at music.podshow.com. And so this ends this edition of the Retro Lounge, home of classic episodes of the Recruiter's Lounge podcast. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe now so you don't miss a future episode. Okay? Cool. Until next time, bye-bye. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise, and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.